Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome back to We Made a Beer. My name's Louise. Mine's Lucy. And this is We Made a Beer, the podcast in which we, two beer novices, find out about beer by brewing it, drinking it, and chatting to the experts about it. Today's episode is all about the great British brewing tradition of cask beer. This theme was inspired by a chat we had with Rob Lovett, head brewer at Thornbridge Brewery. Whenever we meet a brewer, we like to ask them what they most like to drink. And Rob couldn't speak highly enough about Timothy Taylor's landlord on cask. And we've heard loads of other brewers wax lyrical about cask beer too. This got us thinking, why haven't we explored cask beer yet? Thinking about it, we've probably been harbouring some misconceptions about cask beer culture. The last time we went to one of those beer festivals, you know the ones we mean, it was in a slightly soulless exhibition hall on a boiling hot day and, to be honest, at the time we weren't anywhere near as appreciative of a good pint of beer as we are now. But since starting this podcast, we've taken a bit of a U-turn, so it's only right that we take on a well-overdue exploration into what cask beer is and what makes it so unique. In this episode, we chat to Bradley Cummings, founder of Tiny Rebel in Newport, about how and why they're putting their stamp on Wales' cask beer traditions. Cask has always been kind of at the heart of what we kind of set out to do and kind of produce. At the moment, there's a lot of breweries who stick to just kind of putting beers within keg. So what we try and do is try and really experiment within cask a lot. We also chat to Camera, the campaign for Real Ale, about what makes Real Ale so good. With Real Ale, it's naturally fermented with the yeast still in the bottle. So we consider it more of a kind of craft type of artisan beer than your average kind of keg beer. And we boldly go where none of us have been before, attempting to brew our own cask beer. Full disclosure, I don't work in a cask brewery, so we don't, we don't brew cask beer. Um, I've drunk my fair share of it, um, but yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't claim to be an expert at all. If you've only just joined We Made a Beer, we've been making this series alongside the lovely folks at You Brew London, an open brewery where you brew the beer. Last week, we heavily tweaked the recipe of our first ever brew to make a better IPA. Here's what happened when we tasted it. You can smell the hops on the nose, not maybe not as much as we might want. I think if we were to rebrew this, we would bump those aroma hops a little bit. I guess it just depends on your tastes. Okay, so still not perfect, but we are definitely getting better. So, on with the show. Confession time. So far, this podcast has been guilty of neglect. We got so excited by all the brightly coloured cans full of new and weird craft beers that we've become a bit detached from one of the foundations of Great British Brewing. Cask Ale. This is partly because Ubrew isn't a cask brewery, but they can do it and they know how to do it, so there's no excuse for us not to explore it. So many of our guests so far have been cask beer enthusiasts, which has inspired us to stop looking straight to the fridges when we walk into a pub and start ordering some of the super fresh beers on cask. And we can deny it no longer. You really can tell the difference when it comes to freshness. Before we had a go at brewing our very first cask beer, we needed to taste some with Tash to come up with a recipe. In order to maximise the freshness of the drink, we went to our localist pub and smuggled out some recently tapped pints to taste in our sunny Brixton garden. So today we're going to brew a cask beer. I don't really know much about cask beer. I also don't really drink it that much. Um, Full disclosure, I don't work in a cask brewery, so we don't we don't brew cask beer. Um, I've drunk my fair share of it, um, but yeah, wouldn't wouldn't claim to be an expert at all. It's going to go well, isn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> so we're also talking to camera and we're going to talk to Tiny Rebel and we're going to learn a lot about sort of cask beer and real ale along the way. Um, but before we do, shall we taste a couple of beers that we found? By found, I mean we <laughs> went to a pub around the corner, decanted them into a Nutribullet and brought them back to our house. <laughs> um, so <laughs> if we start with the slightly weirder one, we've got Rooster's Eight-Legged Groove Machine, which is a ginger and lemon peel pale ale. Nice. So technically not a real I think ale? It not wouldn't be classed approved. as a real, yeah, it wouldn't be classed as a camera-approved real ale because they've put something in it that's non-traditional. I think oh. it smells like soap. I just think it smells like ginger. It's really spicy. It's very ginger. It smells like powdered ginger. Yeah, it does. It smells like, like ginger biscuits or like, mm. you know, Leaf sweet. Mm. I think it smells like Bayless and Harding hand soap, <laughs> <laughs> which I often like to drink. Yeah, no, it is very aromatic. I can see where you're getting there. It doesn't taste like soap, which is good. It's not got much body, which is surprising for Caspia because that's one of the things that cask often has going for it is you do get a really nice multi body, but... It's nice and fresh. I mean, I, d- I don't hate it, but I don't think... If I bought a pint of this, I probably would be a... After half of it, I'd kind of regret buying a full pint. That's no, how I'd I, describe it. I actually quite like this. I think that this isn't what I would be expecting with that really malty thing from um, from Caspier. I sometimes associate that with maltiness. Uh, but I think this has um, got interesting flavour profile coming from the ginger, so not the whole real ale thing, but the stuff in here that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. You actually do drink Caspier a lot, though, don't you? So what do you really like about cask? I used to drink it a lot. I was I drank it a lot when, way before I was legal. When I was about five years old, <laughs> I drank a lot of Caspier because <laughs> my dad used to take me to breweries in Yorkshire and let me have some of his beer so my first beer tastes were cask beer so um, I have a bit of a fondness for it but um, and when I do taste you know when you go to a pub that like specializes in cask beer and it's really fresh and it's from a local brewery it is really tasty and it does you can definitely tell that it's fresh um, and uh, hopefully when we try the Brixton one that'll be, that'll be a good example of that because it's dead local mm. yeah yeah so that's probably a nice segue to uh, down this first lovely beverage and move on to Brixton this is Brixton Ephra Ale I would say we live a stone's throw away from Brixton Brewery so I would expect this to be fresher than fresh how strong do you think you are I don't think I could throw a stone to Brixton Brewery well I was a really good (laughs) shot putter actually so I reckon I could get it through the letterbox alright cool it's really not far (laughs) you know you can roll home from there you'd look like a fool but you could do it (laughs) So the reason we went for this is this is, I think, a good example of like a a traditional cask beer, I guess. The previous Roosters one, they used extra ingredients, so lemon and ginger. According to camera, that wouldn't be classed as a real ale. This would be. um, For me, I didn't really like the first one, so I definitely think for our beer, this is probably the way to go. Yeah, I like it. It's nicely balanced. There's a bit of bitterness on that, but it doesn't seem to be unpleasantly bitter. Can you tell it was brewed an actual <laughs> stone's throw away from our house? <laughs> a literal stone's throw. No, it does. It tastes really fresh. It's lovely. It's, it is. It's very. It's a very simple beer, but it's it's well brewed and it it serves cask really well. Mm. I actually really do like that. I think it's quite Moorish, isn't it? It's nice. Mm. So uh, the third beer we've chosen is Tiny Rebel Kutch. We've chosen Kutch because I lived in Cardiff for ages and I think it's the most wonderful place and every time I see it, it makes me smile and it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also an example of taking like a traditional cask beer style and modernising it. So they went for a Welsh red ale, which is apparently a, a real classic of Wales, and then pimped it with loads of nice hops and sort of gave it a craft beer twist. Oh, wow, yeah. It's got a really, really dank hop aroma in a way that, yeah, neither of the others have and you don't often get in 
in Caspia. Dank, is that a good word? Oh yeah, yeah. Dankness comes from, it's like resinous. So in the same way that you call weed dank, you call hops dank because they have lots of like lots of resin in them. Okay, they're from the same family. So. Do you know what? I thought you were just being like really street and didn't think anything of it. <laughs> I thought you were being like, yeah, that's some dank hops, girl. <laughs> dank rum. It's a scientific term I think you'll find. <laughs> <laughs> smells delicious. Yeah, it smells fab. Mm. Still got that nice multi body. It's a nice colour. It's a little bit cloudier than the others. Um, and in terms of like these hop flavours, are you getting like American hops, British hops? Yeah, it definitely smells like there's a there's a big whack of a, an American dry hop on there. I really like it. It seems really balanced. It's got quite a bit of body. I like it. I like it. So this has basically been a resounding success. This is probably a good one to try and emulate in a way. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking a traditional traditional base recipe, but bump up the, the aroma hops, bump up the dry hops a little bit, mm-hmm. make it a bit straddle the line between cast and craft what sort of things should we be using as our base if we want that real malty sort of flavor so we're probably going to use a combination of maybe like five to seven different malts so we can get that nice complex malt backbone we'll start with a a pretty standard ale malt and then we'll use some caramelized malts some red malt maybe some brown malt a little tiny bit of dark malt just to get a real depth of color um we'll, we'll have a look at um maybe adding some wheat and some oats for some body and some head and uh, hopefully we should come up with something that's nice and complex and malty and hop wise are we gonna dry hop it like these guys have i should think so yeah um one of the other um really important things about uh cask beer is that it's naturally carbonated as opposed to force carbonated so um we're gonna prime it with a little bit of sugar post-fermentation before we put it in the cask um and that sugar is gonna undergo another tiny little fermentation it's going to create some co2 it's going to give it carbonation um we're going to keep the carbonation quite low um, but it will be present um we'll let it uh condition for a few weeks before we serve it and we'll serve it fresh straight out of the cask i'm really excited if you're a home brewer or keen to learn you can check out our red ale recipe at wemadeabeer.co.uk keep listening to hear how it turned out Now, as a Yorkshire girl, Lucy's been drinking cask beer since long before she was legally allowed to. But I have to admit, up until fairly recently, I've given cask beer a wide berth. However, one brewery that will always get me interested in broadening my horizons is Tiny Rebel. Their cool range features a ton of really interesting cask beers, and they've won loads of awards for cask production too. Their branding is bright and non-traditional, and their beers are delicious. We crossed the border into Newport and met up with co-founder Bradley Cummins and head brewer Sarah Hughes. The company started with myself and my brother-in-law, Gaz. He had a kind of a background of homebrewing and yeah, we kind of just took off from there, spent a couple of grand on a nice homebrew kit and got pretty good at it. We used to give it all away because there was no way you could drink it all. Mm. And yeah, the feedback that we got was pretty good. It was kind of better than what people were drinking in the pubs at the time. And then we launched in February 2012. How did the name come about? I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> Who have you stolen that from? Stole it off my brother. <laughs> so my, yeah, my brother was living in America for like 15 years. And he gave me his business card and said, I've just set my new company up. Check that out. And I was like, right, that's a wicked name. <laughs> it's kind of, it kind of defined what we wanted to be, which was kind of small, but a little bit rebellious. At the time, and it's kind of always been our philosophy now, is to you know, think small and be a bit different with it. And it's what we do with any beer that we do. We're always trying to put our little tiny rebel spin on it. And where's the little disheveled teddy come from? We wanted something that would represent 
the brand being, you know, a tiny rebel. And, uh, you know, when me and Gaz were kind of thinking of, of what that image could be, and we didn't just want another kind of corporate or boring logo or anything too Welsh, because it's, it's all been done before. With anything we do, whether it's a beer, whether it's a beer name, style, brand, we always have something that represents us and something that we're interested in. And that's all we really kind of focused Tanya Rebel on. The beer kind of came from wanting some sort of character that just represented that without having any kind of words around it. So you could just see the beer and you know instantly it's kind of Tiny Rebel. He's very dishevelled. I feel like he had a heavy night the night before. Yeah. A little bit streetwise. <laughs> a bit rough and ready. You know, we're from Newport. It's, it's a bit of a rough and ready place. So it's... Um, yeah, it fitted. Great. Um, you guys have like a great range of cask, keg and bottled beers. And can. And canned beer and now as well. Now can. Um, so how do you choose what to put things in? Uh, every beer is different, whether we start with a name, concept, or whether we want it to go in can, keg, bottle, cask. And it kind of all comes from that then, depending on what style we want to brew. Some styles are better with a little bit more, bit more carbonation. Also, ABV has a big effect on it. What we try and do is experiment a lot. So... At the moment, there's a lot of breweries who stick to just kind of putting beers within keg. So what we try and do is try and really experiment within cask a lot. And it's kind of something that we've always done. It's kind of our background, really. You know, growing up in Wales, we were always quite cask heavy. You know, we grew up on brains, dark, SA, and Rev James. I can really name them all. But um, yeah, so cask has always been kind of at the heart of what we kind of set out to do and kind of produce. You get a lot of funky beers in can and keg and, and in bottle to a certain extent, but there's not necessarily that exciting beer that's in a cask. So that's what we do with our R&D particularly is to try and put those more exciting, innovative beers into cask. Cool. Yeah, a recent one we did, we put a cherry sour in a cask and putting a sour beer in a cask is, is a very t- traditional thing in other countries. Germany, Belgium, but no one does it in the UK. Why is that? Um, a lot of people think it's gone off. So... For a cask beer, when you serve it, you have to sell it within four days. Maximum, really, you want a kind of two to three. So you've got 72 pints in that cask that you have to sell. With a keg beer, you've got two, three weeks. So for the publican, they've really got to kind of be selling these beers quick and having a quick turnover. So there's a bit more risk in wastage, potentially. Mm. So what happens then over the last three, four days, uh, the beer oxidizes and then it can turn sour. So the sourness, the vinegar kind of flavors can kind of, it's what you get in a sour beer, but they're meant to be there. <laughs> so yeah. people can mistake it for being off. So it's really an education side to it. So when we do it, we kind of really pick and choose where our sour beers go. So people don't think that there's a problem with the beer. The thing that people go for cask beer is that it's so fresh because the shelf yeah. life on a cask is is much shorter. So you on a cask beer, you'd put, I don't know, like eight weeks, say, on a cask beer. So it needs to be consumed within that that period of time. Whereas on a keg, you can put anything sort of from four months, four months or so on, on a keg. So with having that shorter best before on it, you're more likely to drink it at a fresher stage than other products, potentially. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Beer drink is bang on about how fresh a beer is. You know, with IPAs, you really want to drink them as quick as you can. Um, so the hop flavor doesn't deteriorate over time. So with cask beer, you know you're always going to get it at its freshest. Fresher than keg, can, bottle. It's always going to be that at its kind of prime. I know people talk about like it being a quick turnover, but I didn't realize it was that quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's, you, you've, it's, it's really down to the pub. So we're quite picky and choosy of where we sell our beer. Um, at the end of the day, the, the publican's got to be not just prepping the cask and serving it correctly, but also then kind of 
quality control every single day to make sure it's in its kind of prime condition to be served. Because what we don't want to do is as a brewery, we put all our efforts into making the best beer we can. And then all of a sudden then, when it goes out to trade, when people can try it, you're kind of at the hands of the guy behind the bar who's serving it and pouring it. Um, so kind of going a little bit beyond uh, the cask stuff, um, we want to talk a little bit about uh, Kutch, um, which is one of the beers that we first tried from from Tiny Rebel. And am I right? It was crowned champion beer of Britain a couple of years back? Yeah, uh, 2015. Awesome. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how Kutch came about and um, sort of how it's uh, how it became such a big part of your, your range? Yeah, the recipe for Kutch, we actually did in a garage. So we're... we're back- it's very glamorous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so back, yeah, so back when we were kind of doing all this R&D before we set the company up, me and Guys, we used to, our homebrew kit was in my dad's garage, basically. So the rest of, we were messing around with recipes, and the cut recipe actually came from there. And what we then did, we just kind of scaled it to be a bit more commercial, and kind of took it from there. But yeah, the word "cut" is such an iconic Welsh word. You know what it means? Cuddles. Yeah. Cuddles, cozy. <laughs> it's like the huga, the, the Danish huga of Wales. Is it? I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> it's big in London. Huga. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, we, we just couldn't believe that no one had made a beer or named the beer called Kutch. You know, so we were like, right, we're on that. You know, so that was our thing. So we did it. We wanted to, to make a red ale, being a Welsh red ale, but we wanted to really make some, something a bit more of a modern, traditional style cascale. And with the Champion Beer of Britain competition, you don't actually enter your beer. It gets selected. So we had kind of no influence on putting that beer forward. The way it works is it gets recommended by camera members and they then regionally put that beer forward from a specific brewery and then it goes for another round. But all of this, breweries don't get involved in any of the selection process or any of the voting. So it's all down to the actual kind of members of the public. That's really cool. So how does that affect you going forward? Like once you've won that award, do you then say, I guess more people want want your stock? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so at, at, at the time when that happened, we, we were running the brewery at max capacity anyway, down in our old site. For us, it was a great way to get our name out there. And also, we'd only been brewing for three years as a brewery. So we were actually the youngest ever brewery to win this award. So, you know, for us, it was just a dreaming kind of, I guess. Yeah, for such a big award. And it just kind of got a name out there a bit more quicker, kind of put us in amongst the kind of quality side of beer, like, you know, mm. recognised for quality, which is something that we kind of um, want to be known for. Um, we want to talk about a blog that um, that we read on the website, um, which we found really interesting about the fact that brewers should be trying to kind of keep this tradition of cask beer alive, but um, there are obviously some problems involved in that sort of margins and them being a little bit difficult. Could you maybe elaborate on that a little bit for us? So cask ale is a big kind of tradition and... A very unique product to Britain. It's something that we've been drinking since we were young and I'm not too young, but <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was always something as a brewery that we wanted to kind of keep. It's such a, 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 a unique style of, of how you dispense and serve beer. You know, it takes a lot more care. It's a lot more time and it's a lot harder to get right because there's not much in there that you can kind of, you can't really mask anything. Uh, you know, you get some kind of mainstream beers that get served extra, extra, extra cold and you literally cannot taste a thing. Whereas Cascale is served kind of 10 to 12 degrees. You can't hide as much if the product is being produced kind of badly. So any off flavors, they don't get hidden. So it's something that we always wanted to kind of craft. And that was something that when we set the brewery up, we wanted to nail down before we did anything else. Make sure we get our Cascale right and everything else will kind of roll from there. 
I read an article about how we are so used to cask being cheap. So how do you go about like um, changing that mindset for a consumer that, well, for just a punter in a pub that actually you can pay more for cask and you might get an exceptionally better product. And if people don't start changing their mind, you'll end up in a situation where cask is just loads of big guys and there's no smaller brewers doing exciting or different things with it. Uh, continuous education. And for us, the main thing, it's, it's we've got our own bars. So it's a lot easier for us to talk to people about our products because all of our staff are very well trained in our products and what, not just the flavor side of it, but also kind of the other side of it, which maybe price point and what goes in there and how much these additional uh, ingredients costs. So it's a lot easier to kind of have a one-to-one with the customer kind of direct. So having our bars and the training that we put into the bars is is kind of key to that. Awesome. We uh, we tried a beer last week when we were cooking about in Yorkshire um, on the tap there. It was a marshmallow porter, and that was delicious. Um, <laughs> we loved it. Um, and I heard that it, it did really, really well. So how did the idea for that kind of come about? Um, Ghostbusters is how we came about. <laughs> so whenever we come up with a, a, a new beer, everyone kind of chips in and we're just kind of chucking ideas around the office. Someone says something. I think someone said marshmallows, and then someone else said, I, I kind of stay puffed. And then we had a beer, you know, it just kind of rolled from there. And that was kind of probably one of the easier ones that we've, that we've kind of came, came about. But it's, yeah, getting ideas for new beers. It doesn't really just have a a start to finish. It can kind of develop over time. Some beers take weeks, some beers take minutes. I read on the website the first brew sold out in 36 hours or something like that. At what point do you Uh, think, shit, we've done something really good here? Um, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, when that happens, the thing is, is when anyone makes a new beer, anyone can sell one beer. So if you make something once and you, you know you can sell it once, the hard thing is, is to get the drinker coming back again and again and again. And I think that's something that as Tiny Rebel we do really, really well is having kind of repeat customers. People go back to the bar and order another one of them, you know, because everyone loves kind of choice and variety and there's so much choice and variety out in the marketplace at the moment. But we stay puff. Yeah, we brewed it once, but the, the demand was there. It was so high that we just kept producing it again and again and again. And pe- the same people came back again and again and again. And that's, you know, kind of testament to kind of our brewers and the quality and the consistency that we have within our brewery. And um, yeah, it was that kind of popular that we then brought it into our core range for this year. And how do you get that marshmallowy kind of taste in it? It's kind of like smoked marshmallows almost. Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> Top secret. Yeah, okay. tra- trade secrets. <laughs> um, so we just use a lot of um, a lot of lactose to give it that kind of... More mouthfeel. Isn't yeah. it? And then we have recently started um, nitrogenating the beer so that instead of it just being CO2, uh, we put nitrogen, which obviously adds to that creaminess as well. So that's kind of doing without, a bit. Without giving away too much. <laughs> we also noticed that you guys are one of the only breweries that we, was it the, one of the only breweries we've been talking to that have a cider in your core range. Mm-hmm. Was it just something like a passion project or is it something you decided to have in the core range from the start? Something we're interested in, really. It's a, a product that we team up with uh, a cider producer called Hogan's. Uh, just up in the Midlands. So it's kind of more of a collaboration with them. And whenever we do something, it's kind of tiny rebel. We all, it, it's always got to be fun. And when it stops being fun, it stops kind of being us. So that was just a nice little fun side project for us to kind of get involved with and just to kind of, and for us to understand, you know, the, the, how side is produced because it's, it is a totally different process to beer. Mm-hmm. So um, we are on this um, sort of industrial park here and we see that there's a lot of stuff going on next door. What's uh, what's next for, for the brewery? So, yeah, we've just invested £3 million into a new brewery. So it's been able to kind of up our capacity fivefold. You know, we can now produce up to 5 million litres a year. 
which is around, I don't know, mathematical wise, nine million pounds or something like that. <laughs> just off the top of my head. But along with that, it's not just the brewery. We, we've also um, invested heavily in a uh, visitor centre on the front. So we're going to have a bar in there, a brewery tap, um, 24 keg lines, 12 cask lines, all of our own beer, special releases, prototypes. You'll be able to come down to the brewery and try them and the beers will be at their freshest. Tours, you can hire the, uh, you can actually hire the space out. So if you ever wanted a wedding party, who knows? So between the visitor center where the bar is, uh, there's a big dividing wall, which is glass. So you can actually see directly into the brewery and watch the brewers brew. You can see the guy's packaging, how a can kind of comes down the line and then gets kind of filled and, and sealed. So it's really kind of a unique space. So you've not got much going on then, really? <laughs> no, no, not much, no. <laughs> Big thanks to Tiny Rebel for hosting us. They were such a lovely team and the atmosphere in their office is fantastic. Everyone working there seems to be having a really good time. We also had a lovely lunch in the Newport Bar after the interview and can highly recommend the food. After the break, we meet Katie Wiles, communications manager at Camera. We Made a Beer is brought to you by, well, just us actually. It's produced, presented and funded by our good selves. This season though, we're working alongside Honest Brew, our favourite online beer service, to make the beers we talk about in this show more accessible to you. We use Honest Brew to get brewery fresh craft beer delivered directly to our door, so we've always got some tasty drinks chilling in the fridge. We've partnered with Honest Brew for a limited time to offer you a fantastic mix case. The We Made a Beer case contains 12 great beers that have been either brewed or recommended to us by Season 2's podcast guests or that have just inspired this series. And if that wasn't enough of a treat, we can get you a whopping £10 off your first order using the coupon code We Made a Beer. Use it to get the We Made a Beer case or to just expand your beer tasting horizons. To recap, go to honestbrew.co.uk, spend over £30 and use the code We Made a Beer at checkout for £10 off. Check out the episode description in your podcast player for the full T's and C's. Happy drinking! Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
We couldn't explore cask beer without talking to Camera, the campaign for real ale. Camera was founded back in the 1970s, when Beer World was a considerably different place to what it is now. They coined the phrase real ale to cover traditional cask beer and bottle-conditioned beer. These beers have no forced carbonation, which means when you package, you add a little bit of sugar into the mix. This kickstarts the yeast into a secondary fermentation, creating CO2, which dissolves in the beer, creating natural bubbles. With over 186,000 members, Camera's here to ensure we get to enjoy quality real ale and thriving pubs in every community. We met up with Katie, Camera's communications manager, to learn a little bit more about the campaign. We started by asking her to explain exactly what the term real ale means. So real ale is um, it's a live living product. It is fermented naturally within the bottle or the cask. So in terms of kind of keg beer that you would get, they tend to kill off the yeast um, and then inject it with CO2 to make it have that fizzy, bubbly taste that you have in beer. Um, with real ale, it's naturally fermented with the yeast still in the bottle. So we consider it more of a kind of craft type of artisan beer than your average kind of keg beer. Um, and because it's a live product, it can go off quicker than regular keg beer, but it has a lot more kind of stronger natural flavors and aromas and tastes. So it's the same as if you would prefer to have an artisan cheese or an artisan kind of craft wine. Yes, it might go off quicker, but it's actually kind of a much better product in a lot of instances because of that. Are there any styles of beer that you can't make in that way? Are there any sort of weird styles that people are experimenting with that just wouldn't work being done that kind of that secondary fermentation kind of way not any that spring to mind um i guess the only place that we would usually draw a line is where you add in extra flavoring to it so beers that are kind of fruity or add in ginger things that's artificial flavoring we think that kind of dilutes the actual real essence of okay so it's all about those kind of core ingredients exactly Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. And how did Camera get started? Like, why is it important? Yeah, so it's kind of hard to imagine, I guess, Camera these days um, compared to when it was set up. And the beer scene has changed so much from 1971 when Camera was founded. Um, back then, there was just four big breweries making kind of really crap, <laughs> busy <laughs> beer. So Camera was founded by four men who sat around a table at a pub in Liverpool and said, we don't really want to be forced to be drinking this not very tasty beer year and they started to um, get more people involved in really campaigning to bring back good beer to Britain and you know cameras obviously changed over the years from when it's founded because we're not living in the same kind of environment that we were in 1970s and uh, thank god we've got <laughs> loads of really fantastic beer um, across you know the spectrum of real ale and keg beer which wasn't the case back then um, and we've we've really evolved to take on campaigning for the price of beer bringing that down keeping pubs open, protecting them where there's a massive decline in UK pubs. So what is Camera doing to kind of help pubs make sure that they're selling everything and, and, and treating it in the right way and making sure that it's kind of turned over fast enough? Um, we've got our Good Beer Guide, which we've been running since 1971. And that is a selection of the best pubs across England, Ireland, um, Scotland and, and Wales. And that's only kind of pubs that have very well conditioned um, real ales on offer that they store properly and serve very well. Um, similarly to that, we have um, awards for pubs. So our pub of the year competition, club of the year, um, things like that. You know, I think pubs 
really appreciate having those kind of accolades and having the recognition from camera, that stamp of approval, um, to be in our good beer guide to have a camera award. And that encourages them to continue to maintain um, the beer properly. Is there an overall winner in the UK? There is, yes. So this year we had the Georgian Dragon um, in Hudswell, which is a little village in North Yorkshire. Um, and the pub is absolutely fantastic. They were they closed down in 2010 and were rebought by the community. They diversified their offering, basically having a little village shop in the back, um, allotments out um, in the garden for people to have in the village. Um, they had kind of reading clubs and um, you can go in and borrow laptops and things like that. So they've really become the huge hub for the community in that area. So in that sense, is their award not just about their beer, it's about the whole vibe of the pub itself? Yeah, absolutely. So beer is a massive part of it, but we like to see kind of pubs being very welcoming to everybody, have a really good ambience, you know, just be really nice places where people in the community can come together and enjoy a pint. That's such a nice attitude. Yeah, we're going to North Yorkshire this weekend, so we may pop by there for a drink. (laughs) Um, I want to come out with something that for one is a sweeping statement and for two is a massive um, stereotype, so I'm apologising now. <laughs> However, in my head, camera conjures this traditional image yeah. of like an old guy with a bit of a gut going to a, fear, <laughs> a beer festival in like a big hall, whereas craft beer, in inverted commas, is more sort of like hipster guys with beards and checkered shirts. And I don't know why that is. Do you think there's a reason? Is it just because camera came first and now craft has kind of swooped in as like this cool new thing? I think so. Um, You know, when we set up camera, we coined the term real ale and that's how we had the distinction between good beer and bad beer. And that's what was the situation back in 1970. And I think there's been huge advances in technology in the brewing sector since then. So now you have some, dare I say it, good beers that aren't necessarily real ales. Um, And in terms of changing that image of camera and making camera seem much cooler, how are you guys going about um, altering the image? So um, last year we launched on a huge project um, called the Revitalization Project in which we have surveyed all of our members across the country um, where we sat down and said, what what is camera? What should camera be? Um, what do we see the future as? Should we be embracing craft beer? Should we be embracing other venues besides your traditional pub? And, you know, a lot of it's actually quite progressive and revolutionary in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of our members do want to see us um, campaign for all good beer, regardless of what the definition is. They want to see us um, campaign for all venues where people come to drink and recognise that pubs may not necessarily be the only place that fulfil that role. So that that's something that's going back to the membership and needs to be voted on. Um, you know, we are a very democratic organisation, so decisions don't come from the top down, they come from the bottom up, which means it takes a long time to kind of change and alter the company culture but I think there does seem to be quite a lot of interest in actually um, bringing forward some change and becoming a bit more modernised as an organisation. Do you guys do any educational stuff? Do you run courses? And Yes, we do. Um, and we do a lot of training for our volunteers who run all of our 200 plus beer festivals across the country, during which they're the ones who are actually kind of storing the beer, keeping it cool, serving it. And we're trying to expand that quite a lot more in the coming years. So if our listeners are at home, they kind of get a bit interested in learning a bit more about Real Ale, where would they go to, to learn a bit more about it? Um, they can visit our website, um, which is camera.org.uk, um, or 
when they can sign up and become a member, it's £26 a year. So it's quite cheap. That's kind of £2 a month. So less than a pint. Um, and you get loads of kind of discounts, lots of information on, um, you know, the festivals going on, discounts there, discounts in quite a few pubs. So from, I guess, a money saving perspective, as well as, you know, being part of the campaigns that we run and getting a lot more information and um, knowledge about beer. It's kind of a good fit. Um, I really like a good old beer festival. I really like that you can get, you know, loads of beers from all over the shop just in one convenient place. I'm assuming you go to a lot of these festivals. I do. <laughs> so um, what's been like your top standout beer that you've had and you've been like, this is really good? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, I really like stout tea beers and porters. Um, I went to the National Winter Ales Festival in February this year, which was held in Norwich, and tried a fantastic beer, which won our Champion Winter Beer Britain Award. Um, and it's the Moore Brewery's Old Freddie Walker, and it's a really strong old stout. Um, and Moore Breweries is a fantastic brewer. They he's a, he's American from California, and he's come over here, and he's um, produced a the first real ale in a can that we have accepted as real ale made in a can. So we are That's changing our ways. So does, uh, so does it still have bubbles if it's in a can? It does, and it's it, we've we've got a technical advisory committee that have gone through and checked it and it's got the yeast in it and has been naturally fermented so wow. that's really good so that, that's quite an innovative thing then it is absolutely do you know i found that interview really interesting and i'm super glad we spoke to them i was definitely guilty of thinking of camera as a bit of an old school fuddy-duddy kind of thing but it's great to hear that innovation is happening and that they're working on updating their mantra for a modern beer drinker Yeah, real ale is such an inherent part of British brewing culture. It may have a little bit of an image problem, but when you get a freshly tapped pint at a great pub from a great brewery, you can really taste what all the fuss is about. At the beginning of this episode, we attempted to brew our own cask beer. It's important at this stage to remind you guys that Tash had never brewed a cask beer before, we had definitely never brewed a cask beer before, so we were holding our breath on this one. Here's what happened when we went back to Ubrew to taste it. Whoa, what's that smell? So it smells like... Is that sweet? Weird. Um, Weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's a... It's a kind of buttery off flavour, I think. It's one of the off flavours that tastes good. Okay. (laughs) This is not good. (laughs) Oh, no, but it smells so nice. I actually haven't tasted it yet. I've just been sniffing it. Yeah, taste it. It's smoky. Not good. It's a bit like like old cigarettes. Mm, I love love drinking old cigarettes. What happened here? What's what's gone on? Um, Hard to predict. I'm guessing that the yeast wasn't very happy. Um, could have been a temperature spike. Could have been anything really. Um, yeah, there's just the the yeast has has created some some smoky off flavors, um, which are not desirable. And then also a little bit of a, a, a kind of buttery off flavor, which is not desirable. So um, yes, that's a shame. You know, we've been talking to loads of people, and everyone said actually brewing cask beer is really hard um, because there's nothing to hide behind in a way. And yep. so I guess we've kind of proved that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, we can rebrew this if we want, give it another go. But uh, but this one is not good or nice. <laughs> and before you ask, I would not put my name to this. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, this was our first ever totally off beer that we literally can't palm off on anybody. But these things happen, so we dusted the fag ash off our palates and tried again. One month on, here's how our second attempt tasted. 
cool. So second time lucky, let's have a go. I think I actually just like this one a little bit more than the last one. Second time unlucky. <laughs> so just to describe this, I think this looks like very dirty water. Yeah, it looks muddy. Yeah. More brown than red. So if I saw some people drinking a pint of this, at no point would I be like, man, really craving a beer now. <laughs> Delicious. I'd love one of those, please. <laughs> one of your finest mud waters. So last time we made something that smelt like butter and tasted like ass mm -hmm. <laughs> smell wise i mean it's less butter yeah no the butter's not there this time it is it's a bit smoky there's like a bit of like a kind of very green hoppy flavor that comes from the big dry hop but there's that smokiness is still there why can't we do this what's gone wrong i think we just got to give credit to the people who brew good casks because it's not easy is it <laughs> It's not easy. Really glad we gave it a go, though. And we've definitely developed a much better understanding and appreciation of good cask beer. And even though our second attempt was considerably better than the first, serving it would do cask beer a disservice. So instead of recommending a trip to Ubrey to taste our beer this weekend, we're suggesting you go to your best local pub and try and find a pint of fresh cask beer from a great brewery instead. If you want to have a go at brewing your own, YouBrew are offering We Made a Beer podcast listeners 20% off brew courses with the code WMAB20, as in We Made A Beer 20. Next week, we explore collaboration brewing. We brew up a Honey Gozer alongside Hannah Rhodes from Hiver Beers and roughly... 4,000 bees. We also chat to Richard Beerhouse from Magic Rock about what happens when a collaboration brew goes so well it ends up as part of the core range. Just a reminder, we've partnered up with Honest Brew on this series to make all the beers we talk about easier for you to get your hands on. Honest Brew deliver brewery fresh craft beer directly to your door. Super convenient and very reasonably priced. Use the offer code WEMADEABEER at checkout to get £10 off your first order. If you're unsure what to order first, we definitely recommend the We Made a Beer Mixed Case, packed with 12 brilliant beers that we've tried or name-dropped this season. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review and share us with your friends. Reviewing the episodes really helps us to build up our reputation and our reach. As always, if you want to get in touch, drop us a message. We're at We Made a Beer on the social channels. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>